Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the fourth episode in this special week-long celebration of 12 months of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast and the addition of male guests to the lineup. Today's special guest is Paul Sayer, a seasoned charity event organizer and fundraising consultant who has worked with a wide range of charities from large nationals to smaller local organizations for about 30 years. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2018, but was fortunate enough to find and receive a minimally invasive treatment called focal therapy, using just ultrasound to target and destroy just the cancerous cells, leaving surrounding tissue unharmed. The treatment preserved his lifestyle functionality. Having benefited from focal therapy and so being very aware of the better lifestyle outcome and minimal recovery times, Paul decided to create a charity to fight for wider access and awareness of these treatment options. So Prostate UK was born in early 2019. Today, Prostate is striving to raise funds to buy, donate, and deploy focal therapy suites into strategic NHS hospitals across the UK, as clinicians are struggling to obtain funding to roll this out. But it should not be the job of charity to do the work of the Department of Health or the NHS. So Paul is launching a high-profile campaign to pressure government organisations to step up and do the right thing for thousands of men with low to intermediate grade prostate cancer. Hi there, Paul. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's really great to have you here. That's fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What is your money story? Um, I guess my money story is from a different angle. Instead of being more focused on myself, it's focused on the well-being of others. Um, Running a charity, a charity has to be treated very much like a business, but you just don't have the same control over sales, income, revenue, and such like. You know, that's to the vagaries of the public's generosity in many respects. So I guess, um, yeah, my, my take on money is that I'm trying to raise funds to benefit the wider population, many in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you find people's attitudes with regards to giving money to charity, particularly when a lot of people believe, you know, the NHS is there to do that legwork? 
Yeah, but um, yeah, that's a good question, I guess. I think people have more of an interest in giving money to a charity when they've been touched in some way themselves or know someone who's been touched or a disaster happens somewhere in the world that particularly grabs their interest. So I think one of the secrets of success in charity and fundraising is to make sure the message means something to the person you're targeting. Um, quite often that means being a bit emotive, I guess, with the messaging that you're giving, making it relevant. And as far as your entry you know, into the charity sector is concerned, is that something that was always present for you or was it motivated by what happened to you? Um, elements of both. I've been in the charity sector for 20, 25 years, I guess, in total. Um, I've worked for some of the really biggest charities and some of the smallest. When I went through my journey with prostate cancer um, and realised that I was fortunate enough to have a treatment that wasn't available to most people, although it's an NHS approved procedure, I wanted to get that awareness out there to be able to get more men to have the, the outcome I've had. So in conjunction with the surgeon who treated me, we came up with an idea to create the charity, to create awareness and to make this treatment more available. And how how are people making the decision these days, do you think, with regards to what charities to give to, given that a lot has got to be done by charities in terms of hospices and you know all sorts of different treatments, etc. How do you get over that hurdle of convincing people your charity is the one that they should give to? It's tough. Um, we, we tend, we're not a big charity. Um, we're, we're struggling to be bigger. But I guess most of the time we are targeting and being approached by people who have got a reason to want to be um, in contact with us. So we, we major on that. We, we try to build the donor base that we have, try to get that donor base to spread the message. Plus, we've had some pretty successful media campaigns over the last year or so since we came out of COVID effectively. So we're, we're, we're struggling to build that donor base, but we're getting there. It's, it's a tough call. Uh, I suppose um, a lot of other ch- the bigger charities can afford advertising campaigns. The, the disasters have the TV coverage that comes with it. But we rely on individuals to pick up on our story, maybe be helped by what we do, and to enable us to continue to survive and thrive after that. Mm. And how big an impact did COVID have on fundraising? It it hit us quite badly. It it, it was ironic, actually. I mean, our charity started formally in March 2019. We we got charities uh, commission approval. So we spent a year trying to generate a campaign that would launch to create an awareness of prostate cancer and the better treatments that are available. We were launching in April 2020. You might know what happened effectively Mm. in March 2020. Mm -hmm. So we had a full events-driven programme ahead of us, concerts, events and such like. The whole lot obviously got cancelled, as did most others. So So being a new charity, we didn't really have resources to fall back on or a plan B. What happened was effectively you know, some, some good support kept us going through and input by myself through the period of COVID. Um, and then we kind of took on a patient advocate role. The NHS closed to so everything bar COVID, as we all know, but men were still having concerns about prostate cancer. Some had got diagnosis and couldn't get in to get scans and biopsies. So we kind of turned patient advocate and worked with Imperial College Hospital in London, where I was treated, and they 
really took up the slack for us. And I guess we've we've had almost a hundred men now go through there who would have been either delayed in the general NHS system or would have had more radical treatments and different outcomes. And I think I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I think what what, what I learned during COVID was there was there are so many organizations out there, charities that are not receiving the funds they, they they need to survive. But there is an assumption that funds continue to come in. And obviously, when fundraising activities are in person, and that cannot happen, then that, that fundraising dries up. Is yeah. there more awareness because of COVID now of the need that charities have that if they are not able to carry out fundraising activities then actually funds are not coming from anywhere else uh yes definitely i mean that there's um i, I suppose it, it is much much harder work now to to get people to support a charity they're aware of the the nhs shortfallings during covid and, and i must admit they're not much better since the waiting list are horrendous you know, cancer is one of the areas where you you do get in quicker than some other diseases, but it's it's much, much slower than it was pre-COVID. So um, we're having to work harder to get successes, if you like. We're trying to get the people that we're trying to support into the NHS now. And I think people really aren't coming, haven't really come to the conclusion yet that they can do more to access the NHS better by using some of the charities out there, such as ourselves. So it's part of a learning curve. We are, we're, we're not only trying to raise funds, we're trying to create awareness um your people people don't really know how to navigate the nhs they generally trust what they're told at front front end front level yeah so yeah, yeah. and it's interesting isn't it because you know we, we spoke off camera earlier on with regards to it's important that we manage you know our own health rather than assuming somebody else is going to do that for yeah. us and I know that was definitely and still is really how my parents' mindset is around yeah. accessing the NHS. I'll wait for the doctor to call me. I'll yeah. wait for the follow-up letter from the consultant. I'll accept an appointment being cancelled just as I'm going out the door, which happened to my mum last week, actually. Um, <laughs> and I kind of thought that mentality was just for the older generation. But I don't think it is. Are you still seeing it in 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 people of younger generations as well that they're they are just making the assumption that the professionals know best? Yes, that's definitely the case. There hasn't been a great change in mindset on that front. Um, pe people do, and quite rightly, tend to trust the health professionals that they they sit in front of when they get in front of them in this day and age. I think the fact that it's such a struggle to actually get in front of a healthcare professional now. That you grasp anything that's offered, so you you won't take the time to explore maybe so much. You, you know that the process of exploring is going to exacerbate things. So you you grasp straws almost effectively, I guess, to get the the best and first healthcare that comes your way. And what what can people be doing to more manage that access that that research into what support is available themselves? How do they go about doing that? Um, the internet is a great help on that, but it's a double-edged sword. You don't want to be doing, if, if you're diagnosed with something, you don't want to do the usual Google run. Um, you, you will come up with all kinds of horror stories. So, again, stick to the, uh, the trusted NHS websites, trusted charity websites. 
I mean, in our case, we've got quite a lot of um, information on prostate cancer and the better treatments and when the more traditional treatments are appropriate. But we also work with another uh, very good charitable organisation called Prostate Matters, and they have a massive resource online that's trusted. It's written by consultants. Um, so, so, so try and find those sources of information. Take control, but but do it in a sensible way. Don't just read everything that comes up on Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is the greatest challenge for a charity like yours at the moment? It's got to be fundraising. If you're a health-based charity, as we are, it's also accessing the facilities. Um, maybe, maybe if I tell you a little bit of how I got to be here, it, it can help to answer that question. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. Obviously, but, I, um, I gave a little bit in the bio, but sure. only a very limited detail. So, yeah, please do fill in the gaps. I think that'd be really useful. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2018. So um, I went through the usual routes, attended my local hospital, had an interview with uh, a surgeon and the radiotherapist. Both of them believed in their own modalities, obviously. I'd done a little bit of research ahead and I found out about focal therapy treatments. So they are ultrasounds similar to a lumpectomy for breast cancer as opposed to removing the breast. This, instead of removing the prostate, allows the surgeon to target just the tumour or the cancer cells with ultrasound or freezing techniques called cryoablation. So I got this bit of knowledge before I went in. So I, I approached both the two consultants and said, how about vocal therapy? And both of them absolutely poo-pooed it. They said, no, it's flaky. It's only in trial. It's not suited to your cancer. Fortunately, I knew different to that. You know, it, it was an NHS-approved um, treatments. It's got 10 years of nice approval behind it. There was 3,000 roughly cases that had been done in the NHS, you know, in the UK at that time, quite a lot in the private sector because yeah. the private sector grasped these things quicker. So I took my healthcare into my own hands, explored further, and I found Professor Hashim Ahmed at Imperial College Hospital in London, who was doing focal therapy for prostate cancer. Got in touch, saw him. He said, no, my Cancer was absolutely suited to focal therapy. So instead of having surgery, which would have meant up to three-day hospital stay and all the complications, or five days a week, five weeks of radiotherapy, I was a day-stay patient, hour and a half in theatre and an anaesthetic, catheter fitted for a week, and got on with my life. And the thing with focal therapies are, they really are the breakthrough in medicine. But I think the COVID backlog is, is hindering bringing these things to the forefront now. So I was fortunate and I managed to get to that point where I found out I was able to access it. Um, so I guess now my, my major task as a charity is to in- ensure that message is carried forward. More men get to know that they can access better Absolutely. treatments than the ones they're being offered. And there is an element of protectionism as well. Within the NHS, uh, taking surgery and radiotherapy, both of them are absolutely essential in the right circumstances. Your cancer is more advanced that's what you need. And these guys are absolute geniuses at what they do. But they also have numbers within NHS. You know, it's not quite as pragmatic as you think there are numbers and, and targets to hit. So if they've got a machine that's been set up for removing prostates and it needs 30 cases a month, they've got to feed the robot. So you won't necessarily be told about the other options, even though that is part of the NHS charter that you should be told of all applicable options. So we as a charity have a mammoth task of getting this in front of men to say you know you don't have to accept the first option explore further Um, and and we're assisting those men to leave their local hospitals now and get into places like imperial college to have this treatment there 
Can I suggest as well, you don't just get in front of men, you get in front of women too, the wives, the girlfriends, the mums, the sisters, etc. Because I, you know, I know my husband, for example, is not very good at going to the doctor. You know, I I have to be the one that nags him and eventually he will go. I know my mum has a nightmare getting my dad to go to the doctor. And I think sometimes when we women have that information, that knowledge, we know we know what to do with it and we know how to apply the right pressure in order to get the man to do, particularly when it comes to sensitive parts, you know, below their belly button, then a man can get quite precious about that. So, you know, I, I would invite, I think, you know, all my listeners, male and female, to find out more about what you're doing, equip yourself with that information because you never know when that information might be useful. I agree. And, and the, the thing about targeting the women is important. And that is a big, big part of the campaigning we've been doing. Getting wives, partners, etc., to just mothers, you know, daughters, whoever, nag, nag, nag that man into going to get seen. I was, I was as bad as anyone at that, you know, in the initial stages. I had a friend who had prostate cancer 15 years prior to my incidents. And he used to constantly nag, 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 you know, go and see the doctor. And I never did. I haven't got symptoms. Why should I go? And by pure chance, I was in front of the GP for a completely unrelated thing, chest infection, Saturday morning. Said, oh, while I'm at it, I'm now past the age of 60. Should I get my prostate checked? And it was one of the fortunate few GPs who said, well, okay, let's do it then. So there I was having my prostate checked. And they found that I got prostate cancer. I would have gone on and on and on being a bloke, you know, not facing up to it. Um, who knows where the story would have gone from there? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, as as men and women, there are regular checks that, you know, we can have that very often we will avoid having out of fear of embarrassment or discomfort or just not wanting to think about any possible outcome other than everything being okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you've just demonstrated in what you've said there, you didn't go to the doctor because you had symptoms, because you were concerned. You just thought, I'll have a check because a check yeah. is available. And if you hadn't have done, once you had symptoms revealed, who knows what, as yeah. you say, what the outcome would be. With prostate cancer, usually once the symptoms appear, you are more advanced. So some of the better treatments that I had um, aren't available to you anymore. So it is important to know that you can get checked without symptoms. And it's really important, I think, to make, you know, to make listeners aware, what is the process for the checks, essentially? So when when you're taking responsibility for your health, you know, as women having a regular mammogram, having a regular smear you know we we are we are very much educated to do that from a very young age in our early 20s normally with men the preventative measures i don't think are spoken about as frequently and therefore not known so what are the preventative checks that are available and men should be asking for there's no screening program for prostate cancer i mean when was the last time you went to a supermarket and saw a big trailer with prostate cancer screening unit on the side doesn't yes, exist, does it? Yeah. So um, it's the charter, the NHS charter states that men over the age of 50 or black men over the age of 40, particularly with a family history, because black men are more uh, prone to prostate cancer and it's generally more aggressive. 
I don't understand why, but it is. So um, the the charter says that you're entitled over that age of 50 to have a prostate cancer check. Ironically, when you go and sit in front of the GP, the GP is also instructed to challenge that request. So the reason there's a kind of an obscure reason for that, which is if you if you have a raised PSA level, which is the measure they use from a blood test to to tell, to tell if you have got a prostate issue, if that is raised, then you could be then directed to the hospital for a biopsy, which is relatively invasive, and it may turn out it was a uh, false raised PSA, so you're having unnecessary invasive investigations. That I think is a price that's worth paying. But the GPs are trained to say, no, look, you know, uh, go away, come back in six months, or we'll, we'll keep an eye on your PSA and try to almost push you away from from having those checks. So you need to take charge again. Be more forceful. Say, no, look, I'm over the age of 50. I accept the consequences of the investigation. I'd like to have a PSA test. And ideally, and most GPs, many GPs won't offer it, you need a digital examination as well, a rectal digital examination, which is the rubber glove and a finger, basically, just to check the prostate's texture. Um, If those two are done together, there's a much better chance that they will actually get a a feel, may I use, for the the condition. And as far as I... Am I am I right? I, I try to recall a figure I was given: forty-seven thousand men a year in the UK are diagnosed with prostate cancer. Yeah, it's cancer. over fifty now. If you t- if you look at the statistics, in the next ten years, over five hundred thousand men will be newly diagnosed, and there's four hundred thousand living with the prostate cancer now. So five hundred thousand men, and the, our charity's cause, as you know, is to try to champion the less invasive treatment options. A third of those 500,000 will fit that criteria. And unless we change the thinking, they won't be offered it. That's a lot of men who will end up with incontinence, erectile dysfunction, unnecessarily. So the statistics are quite scary. I mean, one man every 13 minutes is diagnosed. One man dies every 45 minutes. One in eight men will get prostate cancer. And that's unbelievable when Mm. those checks are, those tests are available. Yeah. And you... Put yourself forward to have them. Yeah. Give, given given those figures, obviously, and given as you've said, you know, for for the treatment that your charity is um is 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 supporting, it's raising funds and awareness for catching that cancer at a, the earliest stage is the most important thing to do. It's key. Yeah, absolutely, and therefore. Moving away from the belief, I must be okay, I haven't got any symptoms, is is the right mindset to have, i.e. I have to go and have a test, have a check, I'm over 50, I'm over 40 as a black man, therefore mm-hmm. I can't just assume I have no symptoms, therefore I'm okay, because actually yeah. these things go on silently without any knowledge, but at the point symptoms show it could be too late to have this far less invasive treatment yeah. than might be the case. Yeah. It's also um, worth bearing in mind that eight out of 10 prostate symptoms that occur are not prostate cancer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just by the natural aging process of a man, the prostate will enlarge itself yeah. um, and that will cause pressure on the bladder and the urethra and, and cause issues with weeing and such like. So there, you know, don't the thing to be aware of is if you get the symptoms, don't go, oh, my word, I've got prostate cancer, and be scared then even more to go to the doctor because 
it could just be a simple case of taking some tablets to ease the pressure down below and the symptoms can go away exactly exactly and it, and it is all about isn't it taking that personal responsibility for just having yourself checked out on a on whatever regular basis regular being different things for different tests obviously but mm-hmm. being being aware that things do happen they can be symptomless you can have symptoms and they may not even be the thing that you are concerned about just manage your health in the same way as you would manage your central heating, if you start hearing noises going on or things aren't quite working as well as they might be, or doing, as we all have to do, having an annual boiler check just to make yep. sure the plumbing is working effectively. Yeah, now that's, if we could all get to that scenario where everyone does have an annual check, that, that would be, be perfect. But as you say, you in the meantime, you need to take charge of your own healthcare and be aware there are some odd signs for prostate cancer when it's more advanced you can get lower back pain and um pains in the groin and other 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 bones where if it's sort of spread outside of the prostate it's causing issues elsewhere in the body so there are there are a lot of odd signs that you might think oh i've got a bit of lower back pain that yeah i must rest up a little bit no it could be a sign of something else so it's not the obvious symptoms you're looking for it's responding to any symptom yeah yeah, no, that makes sense. And how do people connect with you to find out more? Right, the, the website is the best place to start, and that's Prostate. We are PRST and the number eight. So prostate.org.uk. And in there are all the contact details. There's a lot of resources to check up on how, how these treatments work, how general treatments work, what you should be looking for. So start there and then contact us and work through. And also, as far as fundraising is concerned, people listening want to reach out and you know, help with regards to donating money, uh, etc. Will they find those details there as well? They will. And it would be nice just to add at this point, what, one of the, the big thrusts of this charity is to try to buy the equipment to put into NHS hospitals to enable this treatment option to be um, spread wider because at the moment it's just London centric you know not every man lives in London so we are just on the verge of deploying our first unit it costs around £320,000 per unit to deploy not big money in the terms of the NHS but it is to us as a charity but we're just £40,000 shy of our first installation now so if your lovely listeners would just donate any amount um don't forget you know the corporate social responsibility the these are tax deductible um elements you know that they can they can donate to the charity through their business and uh clean tax breaks but if we can get that forty thousand together we can have some massive headlines that will get this message out to far far more men and um, that this treatment's there exists and it's, it's coming your way absolutely and i think you know anything that we can do collectively a to raise the awareness of what needs to be done in terms of looking after yourself getting yourself checked out two making people aware of the options for treatment and three the funds required to start to make this more widely available then you know as a podcast community that ripple effect will be substantial it would indeed and you never know who in your life is going to be the next person with a prostate cancer diagnosis. So try and make sure the right facilities and um, services are in place when they do need it. Absolutely. And for everybody who wants to reach out to Paul, his details will be in the show notes, you know, along with what is needed in terms of fundraising and how to give 
and donate to the charity. So please do take a note and reach out to Paul. Thank you very much for your time today, Paul. Really, really appreciate it. And thank you very, very much on behalf of all men that you are working really hard to keep safe and well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly Money Mindset Audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.